take your Bibles and let's go to Luke chapter 10, please. Luke chapter 10. We're in a series we're calling Love Thy Neighbor. We're trying to understand what it means to really love our neighbors. Um, Jesus said this is the second most important commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. The first is to love God with everything in your being. And Jesus said on these two commandments, everything in the law and the prophets hang, which means it all falls under these two commandments. Love God with everything in your being. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so I, I'm a bottom line guy. So I love the fact that Jesus reduced all of the laws of God to these two things. And not that the other laws are on, aren't important, but if you really want to get to the heart of the matter, it's about loving God with everything in your being and loving your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? And by the way, if you're new with us today, um, or if you're kind of new, uh, I hope that you sense already and throughout the rest of this time this morning that uh, we are a group of people that are humbled to be in the presence of God. We are humbled the fact that as sinners, God would love us the way he loves us that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die for our sins, to give us eternal life through faith in him. And so if you're sitting here thinking, well, you know, I, I could never be like all these people here. Well, the reality is we're all the same. We're all sinners. And we've either come and trusted in Christ and his grace for our sins or we're carrying all that ourselves. And some of us, even as believers in Christ, are still carrying stuff that we shouldn't be carrying in our lives, but I just hope that you get a sense of that. And I, last night as I was praying on Saturday nights, I just spent a lot of time just thinking and asking God to show me some things. And I've just felt very strongly that that needed to be said before we actually began the teaching time this morning. So maybe you're here today and you need that reminder that this is the way God loves you. It's not a building, it's not a remodel. Um, it's about your relationship with the living God. And he brought you today to show you that you're welcome in a place where all of us are in the same boat. We're all sinners desperate for God, desperate to know his love, desperate to experience his forgiveness, desperate to feel his intimacy and his closeness in our lives because nothing, nothing compares with knowing Jesus and being related to him through faith. So I hope that uh, that encourages you. So Jesus telling this young lawyer, this expert in the law, when the expert in the law asked Jesus the question, well, who is my neighbor? Jesus says, well, let me tell you a story and you'll figure it out. And he tells this story about a Jewish man who goes from Jerusalem down to Jericho and gets waylaid by robbers, beaten up, laying on the side of the road, beat up, left for dead. And along comes a priest in the story, Jesus tells this young expert. And the priest walks by on the other side, doesn't want anything to do with him cleanliness laws and so forth would have prohibited him from touching a dead person if he might have been dead. Didn't want to be unclean, ceremonially so. So he goes on the other side. A Levite, another worker in the temple of God, not a priest, but someone who works in the affairs of God, he also goes on the other side. And of course, this story to the expert of the law is like very offensive. It's like these are his people, these are the religious leaders of his day, and they're all walking past this guy. And he's probably thinking, well, why doesn't somebody help this man? And Jesus says, lo and behold, a Samaritan comes by. And the Samaritan in the story, of course, is the hinge pin. It's the fact that Jews didn't like Samaritans and Samaritans didn't like Jews. So when Jesus says that it's the Samaritan that stops and helps this guy and takes him to the inn. Uh, this just blows the mind of this expert in the law. 
And when Jesus says, uh, who acted like the neighbor, he can't even say the word Samaritan. All he says is the one who had mercy on this guy. And Jesus says, go and do the same. So we've been learning what that means. So for the last three weeks, we've said, and we've seen in the story, that if you're going to love your neighbor, first you've got to see your neighbor. And that's a problem where a lot of us, we just don't even see people around us. And secondly, we need to serve our neighbors. That means we need to look for ways to touch their lives and be in their lives in a way that's positive and encouraging, just like this Samaritan did with the Jewish person that was laid by the side of the road. But there's something else we see in this passage, and I want to key in on verse 35, where it says, the next day this Samaritan took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And so here... uh, Here we see not only did this Samaritan do some great things by serving him, he saw him, he served him, but he also did something else. And I'm calling that today, he followed up with this man. He he extended himself beyond uh, just doing what he did in the moment. He circled back. He he, uh, invested something in this man. He even gave money to help this man get along the way. So here's, here's, if if you're taking notes, here's where we start today in this little uh, sermon on, on this good Samaritan, is that we show sincere love to our neighbors when we follow up with them. A follow-up is a big part of, of really serving people. You gotta see people, you gotta serve people, but it's not just that. There's, there's, an, there's something else, and it's, it's following up. It's actually circling back around and seeing what's going on. And of course, most of us have met people uh, who in our workplaces know exactly how much work they should do for what they're getting paid, right? Have you ever met people like this? You know, they, you know they're getting paid for a job and they're gonna do the job, but they're not gonna do any more. They're gonna do the absolute bare minimum according to the contract or according to the job that's uh, outlined for them. And most of us know people like that. Those are also people that are experts in all the benefits that they should have by the people that are you know, employing them and all that. There's just an amazing correlation between people that just do the bare minimum and, and also are experts on the benefit package. You you know, kind of thing. And, uh, and so, so the, the beautiful thing about follow-up, what I'm trying to tell you today, is that follow-up counters the kind of service that unwittingly sends the wrong message. Uh, follow-up, the extra, is what counters the wrong kind of service. There's two kinds of service that are, that are kinds of service that follow-up uh, overcomes, and that one is a, a short-sighted service, uh, short-lived service. Uh, if you're taking notes, you want to write that down. It, it's it's characterized by the one-and-done kind of stories. It's the you hear the announcement, oh, we need workers for something, and you think in your mind, I don't really want to do that, but you know, I know they're desperate, so I'll sign up for it. I'll do it once. I'll be done with it. You know, kind of thing. And I was just talking to our children's pastor this past week, and he gets, he gets a lot of the feeling of the one and dones, you know, the people that are like, you know, uh, okay, I, I get it, you're desperate, you need someone in nursery, but that's not my thing, you know, I've, I've raised my kids, now it's time for the next generation, you know, that kind of thing. And we've got amazing workers, and we're so grateful for them. But sometimes we here, right here in the church, we get this attitude of like, you know, I'm going to do my job, I'm going to get in, I'm going to get out, and that's it, I'm done. And I just, I want to give a shout out to the kind of people that are around here today that actually do stuff, uh, not because they have to, not because they feel an obligation, but because they really want to. They, 
They are excited to give back. They're excited to serve. And not because service is always easy. And not because service is always like a big payoff with people recognizing what you're doing, you know, because there's a lot of times where you get involved and you do things and nobody ever says thank you at all. Nobody even acknowledges that you're doing these things. And, and that's okay. People that understand the true nature of service realize that uh, that's, that's the nature of service. You know, you're kind of invisible sometimes and you do what you do because, because you want to do it. And that's, uh, that's, that's a, a really big important thing. And, and that's true for ministry too. It's true for pastors. You know, sometimes I get calls from people like, hey, will you go visit somebody? And, and you know, I'm a busy, I have a busy schedule. There's a lot going on. And, and sometimes kind of that, that sense of, you know, here's a person and I, I, this story's been coming back and so I've shared it in all three services, but I've got a bunch like this, but a person will say, hey, you know, this certain friend of mine, her mother's dying, it would be so meaningful if you could just go pray with them, you know, and it's like, I wanna do that all the time if I can, if my schedule allows, but sometimes on my way there, I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm on my way to this, 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 I'm just gonna stop in, and I remember meeting Mickey the first time. Um, she had maybe a week or so to live, they, I was told, so I came in, she's in the bed, she's been in in the bed for a year she's you know not able, she's just but smile beautiful woman um, she's a believer her husband lets me in the house he's like pacing in the living room you know he, he's uncomfortable with the religious guy being in the house you know and uh, and I can tell I could feel it from the moment I walked in and we had this beautiful time of fellowship Mickey and I did and we prayed together and as I'm walking out she says to me it would sure be nice to see you again sometime pastor and and I'm thinking okay that's great you know I'll try to work that out and and so I'm getting in my car and and you know Mickey didn't pass that week she didn't pass that month she didn't even pass that year she lived for like a year and a half and during that year and a half I got to know her I got to know her husband George who warmed up to me eventually and actually sat in the room as we talked about scripture and prayer and eventually George gave his heart to Christ and and it was a beautiful story Mickey went on to be with the Lord I became a friend of George's he was a member of our church was baptized right up there and then he went on to be with the Lord I thought I would have missed out on a beautiful opportunity had I just kind of said, well, I'm going to get in there and get out and get on with my life, you know, kind of thing. And I'm just confessing to you that sometimes that's the way service is. It feels kind of one and out. And, and, and that's what I'm saying is, is, is the wrong kind of service. Uh, another kind of service that is weird is, is a service that's insincere. And that's service that it takes, uh, it goes to do the job, but it's, it, you, the people that you're serving kind of feel like you're there to do a project, you know? And this was illustrated to me when I was in high school ministry, and we brought our high school kids to a convalescent home at Christmas time, and we were, you know, doing ministry, little choral singing, you know, and a little shaking hands. And this little lady in the back, as I'm sitting there with watching our high school kids, she leans over and says, it's so nice that you bring the kids over once a year, you know? <laughs> And I, and I know she meant it as thank you, it's beautiful, but I, I heard in my spirit saying, what are you doing? You know, this, is, this is more about you and about serving your needs and, and your kids' needs than these people here. So it kind of changed the way I look at convalescent homes and you know, the kind of service that we render to people. People can tell if you're really sincere or not. You know, it's like sometimes we make a big deal about new people. You know, like if it's your first time, we're so excited you're here. And then you never hear anything about it, anything after that. You know, so personally, I love meeting people that have been here a second time, third time, fourth time, fifth time, whatever, because that to me is more exciting even than, and I love a guest, but it's great when guests return because God's doing something in their lives. 
And do people feel like they're a project around us, you know? Do they have that sense that, well, we're just, it's kind of like when you buy, and I've only bought a new car twice in my life, okay? But I, both times I remember you just feeling so loved and so cared for when you're in that initial stage of, you know, talking to the people and sitting down and working out the deal and what goes with the car and all this stuff. And you just feel like you're so like, they love me here, it's so great. And then, and then like two weeks later when a little something happens in the car, you bring the car and they're like, excuse me, who are you again? You know, it's like, and, and there's a feeling. Now, now, I think customer service has changed a lot. And if you're in that industry, forgive me. I, I'm sure you're the best in the world at doing this kind of thing. But sometimes in any area, and let me just say, let's make it real personal, especially in the church, people can feel like they're just being sold something, that they're being manipulated, that we're kind of putting on this face, we're putting on this kind of veneer. And I think we gotta be real. Here's, here's something I've learned. One of the reasons that people don't feel loved when we serve them is because we really don't love them. <laughs> Did you get that? <laughs> One of the reasons people don't feel loved when we serve them is because we really don't love them. <laughs> and Jesus, this whole parable is about loving your neighbor as yourself. What do you do? Wow, there's people right here this morning that have huge needs, huge needs. People that don't know where they're gonna get their next meal, maybe. People that don't have a place to live. And we're a church, and we're, here we are. And so how do, how do we love people? How do we, how do we say, not just say that you're loved, you're loved, but that we actually show our love? Hmm. So if you're taking notes, follow-up requires something, among other things, it requires, among other things, personal investment. I guess what I'm trying to say to you is that people don't feel loved just because they're told they're loved. There's a personal investment that, that has to happen. And, and I'm gonna suggest to you today that, that praying for the needs of my neighbor is a great personal investment. Now, you know my love for exposition. I, I love take, taking a text and taking everything we can out of that text. And I'm gonna do a little bit of an extrapolation this morning. I'm gonna, I am gonna jump the ladder of abstraction just a little bit because the text is not going to teach what I'm about to teach to you, but I think what I'm gonna teach to you is really important and it's kind of out of my own life experience as a follower of Christ. But where I get it from is where this guy, it says the next day he took out two denarii. Um, it strikes me and then he petitions the innkeeper. He says, when I return, I'll reimburse you. So I, I, as I meditated on that passage, I thought, what is, the, what is the application for me in that regard? And sometimes that's a, that's a physical money thing. It costs money sometimes to serve people and love on them. Uh, it's time thing. It's, it's a resource thing. But I, I think overall, what I got out of this, the greatest investment, and I really believe this with all my heart, that the greatest investment I can give to anybody that I'm wanting to love like my neighbor is to pray for them. When I hear people sometimes tell me that they pray for me, I just, I go, I go bananas. I just go, thank you so much. I go crazy because that's the greatest thing. If you want to do something productive for me, just pray for me. Pray for my life. Pray for my family, my wife, my kids. Pray. I love it when people say that. I was at the gym one day and Daryl walks up to me. I didn't, I'd never known him before. He just walks up and he goes, hey, my name is Daryl. I go, oh, great. Daryl, nice to meet you. He goes, I go to your church. I go, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, my wife, Bianca, and I, we're, we're expecting a child, but we want you, I want you to know, I saw you working out here, and I want you to know, we pray for you every single day in the morning before we leave the house. And I'm just like, thank you so much. Big bear hug of this guy. 
I said, I'm gonna pray for you too. And so I met his wife, Bianca. I don't know if you guys are here this morning. Daryl and Bianca, they have a beautiful little girl named Bella who was born last November. And so they've been in my prayer list, but I'm grateful that I've been in their prayer list. This is an amazing thing when you pray for people. I think it's the greatest gift, greatest privilege. And so God kind of got a hold of me on this a couple of years ago when I felt like I was being kind of insincere in my prayers and short-lived in my prayers. And people would say like, you know, hey, pray for me. This week I've got blah, blah, blah. And I'd go, okay, great. And I'd say, yeah, I'll pray for you that this week. And then I'd see them the next week. And as soon as I saw them, I realized, oh, I totally forgot about praying for them. Hey, how you doing? Let me give you an update on what's going on. And sometimes I just fake it. Oh, great, great to hear because you've been in my thoughts. You know, it's like, <laughs> liar, you know. And I'm just confessing to you that I, I felt like I was kind of a mess. Large church ministry, a lot of people, people coming up with needs all the time. And so, of course, over the years, you'll learn, you know, pray for people on the spot. That's great. But then I can forget those too. So anyway, a couple of years ago, the Lord just said, Larry, you got to get this together. And so I got, it's not a big thing. It doesn't have to be your thing, just my thing. He gave a little prayer journal, a little moleskin, 96 page, Target. You know, and, and I just can stick it in my pocket and I take it every day and I just write down names of people that I meet, people that I want to pray for, situations that I'm aware of. And I tell people now, I say, you know, I'm going to pray for you this month. Or I'm going to pray for you for 30 days or whatever. I'm going to pray because there's like this no end. The list gets bigger, 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 bigger. And as I go through my day, you know, just it's a beautiful thing to kind of go through my little prayer journal, but it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sacrifice, but it's a beautiful sacrifice. I think it's the, the best thing I can possibly do for people is to pray for them. And, and, and I'm not asking for a line this morning for people to come up and say, would you pray for me, Pastor? You know, that's not what I'm asking for right now. But I'm saying if I meet you and I talk to you and you find a need in your life, I'm gonna pray for you because I love you and I want God to work his life in you. Now, what's it gonna, what's it gonna take for you to do that? I'm gonna just pass a little bit of the trade secrets on, okay? This is my own, I just things that God has been speaking to me about and this is where we shift a little bit. Let me just talk about what you're gonna need if you're gonna have a prayer journey like this. Number one, you're gonna have to believe. You're gonna have to believe, ultimately, that God does answer prayer, okay? We've got to believe that God answers prayer. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty four. therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours, Matthew 7 11, Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your heavenly father know how to give good gifts to those who ask him? I'm just convinced everywhere I read in scripture that God wants us to believe that he answers prayer. He doesn't always answer it the way I want it to be. He doesn't always answer what I'm even asking specifically for because God knows a better way, God knows a plan, but he's promised to answer prayer. He's promised to hear my prayer and answer my prayers. 1 John chapter 5. This is the confidence that we have, that if we ask anything believing, we know that he hears us and that we will receive what we have asked for. God is a God that loves to answer prayer. And we've got to believe in that truth. Otherwise, we are not praying people. And one of the reasons maybe we're not praying people is because we really just don't believe. We've got to believe that God answers prayer. And sometimes God answers prayer really fast, you know? And I'm just looking down here, I see my friend Judy Ann, who's sitting here with her little daughter Jules. Where are you? You're between the scaffolding. There you are. Hi, Jules. Judy Ann, I met last August. We were playing basketball down at uh, 24 Hour. And, uh, you know, she's an amazing basketball player. And there's, it's a co-ed thing. Guys and gals play together. And I met her, I don't know, it was like the third or something of, of August, and, and she doesn't know this, but I, I went home and I wrote her name in my prayer journal. 
and I was praying for her over that weekend. And I took a little motorcycle ride that weekend, and I had a conversation with some of the guys, and we just sharing about things to pray for, and we prayed for Judy Ann. And, and the next, because she kind of opened up a little bit that day to me, what was going on in her life. And uh, so then I come back, and the next week I see her. We're playing basketball again, and everybody left. The, remember this? Everybody kind of walked off the court, and I said, hey, you want to you know, take a little time, get to know each other a little better, or do you want to keep playing ball? And she goes, let's, let's, let's take a minute and, and take a little more time. So we sat down, and she kind of poured out her life, and uh, I just shared the simple message of the gospel, and she opened her heart and trusted in Christ right there. And, and Judy Ann's been a friend. She's been here. She's bringing her daughter. She's got her sister Rowena there, I think. And, uh, and it's a beautiful thing to see. And so sometimes it's like, Boom, God just answers prayer just like that. And other times, I've got people in my little prayer journal that I've been praying for years. And I still pray for Judy Ann too, by the way. I pray for people that have come to faith, call my spiritual kids or whatever. Because people, sometimes it's an immediate thing and sometimes it's a long process. But if I don't believe that God answers prayer, I don't pray. And God's been turning in my heart. Look, I'm the God that can answer prayer. I can change things in your life. I can change circumstances. I can change you. I can change your heart. And that's what we need. So we need to believe. Secondly, we need some kind of detail, okay? Uh, if you could just pick up the pace of listening, it would help me right now. Um, <laughs> we need to have, I've written in my notes here, we've got to keep some kind of record so that we won't forget who or what we're praying for. Um, my little prayer journal is stocked full of lots of categories. I pray for my family, I pray for my spiritual kids, I pray for my uh, past fellow pastors here at church, I pray for a bunch of people that need healing in their bodies, I pray for people who are in marriage crises, I pray for our first responders, firefighters and police officers that I know, I pray for people who have been through terrible circumstances, it is just all kinds of categories. And I pray for world leaders, you know, I, I've been praying for uh, uh, Bashad al-Assad, you know, of Syria. He's been on my list for several months, and he's been in the news this last couple of weeks, and I'm just praying for that guy. I pray for Kim Jong-un. Pray, I pray for these people because I believe that prayer, God answers prayer. And so I'm moved to pray because I believe God answers prayer. But if I don't write it down, if I don't have some way to kind of connect, and some of you are in my prayer journal, you don't know it probably, but some of you are, or maybe you do know it, doesn't matter. But point is, there's nothing more beautiful for me than to see that name and to remember the need and the situation. Say, God, you know what's going on. Would you just meet that person, that situation, that bereavement, that loss, that drug addiction, that whatever. And I believe that that's not wasted time. I believe that that's precious time. And if that could just spill out into our church family, not the same method, you don't have to carry around little moleskin notebooks or whatever, but some way to keep a record to be praying. And by the way, here's your little assignment for this week. In the book rack tray in front of you, I think there's a prayer card there. Is there? Can you grab, just show me that you've seen it or that it's there. Can you just wave? Okay, good, you've got them, good. So that's a little exercise you can do to put down the names of people in your life that you want to see Jesus you want them to come to know Jesus. And you, you just keep that in your Bible or put it in your car or next to somewhere where you frequent a lot, like your refrigerator maybe, or, or that was a joke. Anyway, somewhere where you are gonna see it and pray for those people. And you know, I just, I really believe, 
you know what we're going to do? We're going to paint this eventually. Uh, it doesn't necessarily need paint right now, but when we get done with all the work in here, we're going to repaint our auditorium. And do, Some of you were here the last time we did that. You know what we did? We wrote the names of people on the walls of our church that we want to see come to know Christ. How many were here when we did that? It was such a beautiful experience. So we're going to do it again. I can't wait. I don't know when it is, but we're going to like mark up all these walls with names of people that we want to see come to know Christ. And so keep your list with you because you're going to need the list. You're going to come back and you're going to put them on the walls. And then we're going to paint over them. Those names are still there. And I keep still hearing stories today of people who said, I wrote the, name, the guy's name on the wall. And that guy, two years later, he gave his heart to Christ. Praise God. It wasn't writing his name on the wall. It's writing the name somewhere where you remember to pray and that God gives you a vision to see what God's doing in those situations. Amen? Okay. So we need, some, we need to believe. We need some detail. We also need perseverance. Perseverance. Uh, Luke 18, 1 through 8, Jesus told a story, his disciples, a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Always pray and not give up. How many of you feel like giving up in your prayer life sometimes? Anybody? I do. You know, I, I even look at this little journal that I have, and it's full of names and people. And to be honest with you, there's, if I were to say, how many of those prayers have been answered? How many of them have the little square around them with a check and the date that said God answered this prayer? There are several that are, but many are not. I think the vast majority of the entries are still in process. And I just sometimes give up. God has heard my arguments sometimes. Lord, I pray for this person. I haven't seen any movement, nothing. God, I'm ready to just drop it. And God's like, yeah, really? Are you, sh-? you know, like I feel the Holy Spirit saying, come on. You know, and then I get back in the right spot. But sometimes we want to give up. Sometimes we just say, I don't see anything going on. So we need to persevere. We've got to be in it for the long haul, if you're taking notes. I want you to see that prayer is not something you do just once a week. Some of us pray before we go to bed or when we get up in the morning. But prayer is something that should be a part of our lives for the long haul. Situations and people in our lives. And lastly, we need vision. And vision is for the people specifically who are not necessarily giving up in their prayer, but they just don't have enough people on the radar of their lives. And I meet people like this. You know, they're not really, there doesn't seem to be any concern about anybody in their life that needs Christ or anybody that needs a closer walk with Christ. And it's just kind of like, it's just them and the Lord and they're happy or maybe they're not happy, but it's them and the Lord. And it's such a small little world. But when you pray the way God wants us to pray, our eyes open up. We see people around us and we just can't walk by. We gotta stop and we gotta say, can I help you? Or what's going on in your life? Or here's something that you might think about. That's what love does. Love stops on the roadway. Love gives more than just some kind of platitude of, hey, I'll be praying for you. We need more things like that on the radar of our life. And I call that vision. Some of us need vision. I love what Paul writes in Philippians 4. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then I love, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So all of this is just a reminder to us today that every situation and every person we meet is an opportunity for God to work through our prayers. And I just hope that that catches on a little more here. I hope that there's a swell of prayer movement. And and it's happening. Praise God. More and more people are getting involved in our house of prayer services. 
There's a, more, uh, there's a greater sense of dependence. We've not done any of the stuff we're doing out here without bathing things in prayer. But I, th- I think we're still really thin on this sense of dependency for God to do what we know we cannot do. And that brings us down to the end of the message right now because maybe there's something in your life where you're going, this is impossible. I'm, I'm striking out. I don't know what's next. God knows. God has a plan for you. God knows exactly what he wants to do. And all it's gonna take for you is to say, okay, God, what is it? I raise my hands like Pastor Brian had us do today. I surrender, Lord. Some of us, it's kind of hard to even do that physically for some of us. It's a great metaphor. God, I surrender. Every day, I surrender. And so if that's you today, I want to invite you to trust in Christ. Trust that he alone can make the difference right now, right now. Forgive your sins, give you a brand new life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.